I'm your host, Ian Gibbs, and welcome to the Learnability Show. How old would you say you have to be to start learning robotics? 15 years old? 10 years old? How about 5 years old? It might sound a bit far-fetched, but teaching five-year-olds robotic skills is exactly what our guest today does for a living. He's a preschool robotics trainer, and he helps the very young take their first footsteps towards what will not only be undoubtedly a very useful skill in the future, but also a very lucrative one. So can we have a big round of applause for Nando Smulders? Welcome, Nando. Hi, Ian. Thank you very much for having me in one of your episodes of your podcast. I feel pretty nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been like talking in public for like almost two years. When you say that you're not used to talking in public, there is only the three of us. There's you, me, and the listener. So it's a very intimate conversation that we're having here. Let's start with the first question, Nando. I understand you've had a, a very passionate educational career so far. Could you uh, share that with us? Well, uh, at the moment, I'm 32. And if we go back in time, since I was, let's say, let's go to my third year of life. Yeah. Um, I was those kind of kids that love learning. I was always arriving home with high grades. I won prizes and I was always like one of the best, not to say the best in the class. So I was always praised by my intelligence, let's put it like that. And, and I was always somebody, a kid that was always curious. Because I love learning, uh, I'm always finding ways to learn things that I'm curious about, and then, and then I was also very privileged to to go to really good schools, um, especially since since my childhood I went to bilingual, trilingual, uh, multilingual schools that taught me different languages. I studied in Aruba, in, in the island of Aruba, where I had the opportunity to enter the Dutch system, Dutch slash Aruba, which was great. I went to one of the best secondary schools there, which uh, at the moment was called Colegio Arubano. And it was like um, a secondary school that prepared you to go to the university. And there I was trained to actually to research, to, to, to get to ask myself critical questions and to find my own way of learning. After that, I moved to the Netherlands, which where I, where I also got the opportunity to be in a really good educational system. I studied communication and multimedia design, and I can summarize that the main lesson that I, I learned there was to learn by myself to find my own way of learning and focus on my own strengths and actually, yeah, finding my own path on my own. 
using the new technologies. And thanks to that, I apply all of those things to my life and I can say that I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning about self-development. I self-educate myself with things that I think are interesting, that can help me grow and that can help me in my career. So when it comes to learning, uh, I can say I never, I will never stop learning, and uh, I'm always learning something new. You've already said all all the magic words, as as far as I'm concerned, because. One of the key points that I talk about when I when I give my presentations is that from my experience, I, I realize that learning isn't just something that, that people do, that, that learning is a, is a set of skills. And once you know how to execute those skills, then learning becomes much easier. And, and essentially, your, your intelligence increases. So, uh, as you said, you've just spoken about your type of learning. You discovered how to learn yourself. Could we just straight away enter this idea of what is your style of learning? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, my style of learning is, of course, nowadays we have the internet. So, I'm always looking online if I want to learn something uh, where can I find an online course? Where can I find tutorials? Where can I find um, blogs? Where And I always think that if I think about something, there should be at least one person out there in the world that have done it or at least tried it before. So I research about the thing that I want to learn and then I just follow through in, uh, at my own pace. So I go slowly steady but I finish <laughs> at my own pace <laughs> so and another way that I uh, another method that I use is I like to learn by doing yeah I, I, I like to get my hands dirty in what, whatever it is let's say um, if I have to learn how to draw a car then I start drawing of course I research online uh, what do I need what kind of pencils are better to do that uh, what techniques, perspective, um, shadow, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I want to draw. So I need to start drawing in order to learn. So most of the time, I'm more a practical person when it comes to learning. Applying the stuff that you've learned in, into the real world, I think, is a fundamental part of learning. It's, it's a very good way to get things to stick inside your head, is to actually put them into practice in some way. I gathered that you are a very practical person because one of the things that you do is that you teach robotics. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You teach robotics. But but more, I mean, that in itself for me is impressive because I, I never got taught robotics at all when I, when I was at school. But one of the things that's even more impressive is that you teach robotics to students who are between three and six years old is that right yeah so you basically teach robotics to kindergarten children exactly I, I would love to be a fly on the wall and see how that works please illuminate us how does that work <laughs> okay first of all i'm gonna start with a personal story i remember when i was uh, i was at the university i think it was my first year 
And since I was studying communication and multimedia design, we had to learn about mostly about everything in technology. We had to learn about uh, graphic design. We had to learn about everything design. Uh, <laughs> we and there was one part when it came to programming. I remember we needed we needed to learn about Java JavaScript. And Ian, oh my goodness, it was so boring. It was so boring. It, it, all those classes were so freaking boring. And at the end of the day, I failed. I failed because the teachers were so boring. The people giving the lectures were so boring. And they made it seem like it was so difficult. And at that moment, we were working on a project of game design. So I thought, I said, okay, maybe programming is not for me. Maybe this is too difficult for me. And after the years passed, then I started learning programming on my own. And then I realized that it wasn't programming. It was the way I was taught. And if, by, if, at the, if in the university there was somebody, one of the lecturers that, was, that could have made it fun, then maybe I could have learned something from that. And then I realized, oh, it's not about the subject. It's about how they teach you. It's about how they make it fun. You're saying, Nando, that you had a teacher who taught you how to code computer games, which has to be one of the most exciting things that teenagers are, are interested in, and he managed to make it boring. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't only one. There were more. <laughs> oh, good grief. I, I, I always thought that's a fairly unique skill. Uh. <laughs> yeah, because most of the time the people that teach are programmers. So they go there and they think that because they know something, they know how to teach it. But let's say if you're somebody that has a different way of learning, it's going to be hard. And then the consequence is that probably that kid, that child, that teenager or whatever person is, that student, is going to think that the subject is not good for them. And I wanted to change that when I, when I realized that actually if you, make it some, if you make it fun in a fun way, you can actually learn it. And that's how I started implementing gamification in the way I teach robotics. So basically most of my, most of my classes are games, are games. So I split whatever I need to teach them in a quest or they need to figure out, um, they, they, they need to go on a treasure hunt, they need to solve puzzles. There's always a game involved. And when it comes to the boring stuff, I teach them that those are the rules because sometimes to be honest, some of the things are boring, <laughs> but, but you need to learn it anyway. So how do you, how do I make this fun? Oh, maybe these are the rules and they need the rules to play the game or to play whatever we're doing. And another thing, another advantage of gamification is that kids hate it when you tell them, oh, we have to work. Some of them even tell me like, oh, I think this teacher is so boring because they always make me work. Like, ah, but I'm different. <laughs> you play with me. We it's always play. Bad teacher. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, and the, and they're like, yeah, we love you because we're always playing. Actually, yeah, you're playing, you're learning, but you don't know it because you think that you're playing. And the other thing is like, for example, if one of them is not really paying attention, I think the worst punishment for a kid is to tell them you don't play or you cannot play. So, so if we're learning something with this methodology of gamification and the kid is ah, oh, being a rebel and he's jumping and, and bothering his friends and like I tell them, okay, you cannot play. <gasps> wow, you da, break da, your heart. <laughs> 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 so yeah, what, that's one of my main methods. And then, uh, and besides that, I also use a lot of storytelling. And they love stories. Kids love stories. Humans love stories. We've been telling stories since. Um, since the early ages and, and we actually guide our lives through stories and storytelling is a powerful tool that you can use with kids and when it comes to robotics as well they, they can create their own stories or we I create a story and they follow it up and storytelling can be a really powerful tool yeah can I just make sure then that the, both yourself myself and the listener are on the same track here because when when you said that you you teach robotics i sort of imagined a, a sort of dr frankenstein workshop with all these different pieces of levers and arms and wheels and things and there, there were these little kids putting together little robots that, that went around doing things but what you're talking about is actually more coding is that fair to say? Well, uh, we have to understand that in these early ages, um, programming is the base of, of the subject robotics. We have robots. We have robots that they, sh they have to communicate through programming, and they also build them. I mean, it depends on the age. Of course, we have to keep in mind that uh, the motor skills, the fine motor skills of, uh, of these kids can be a big obstacle when it comes to building stuff. So we also use lots of Lego and and we open we open the robot and we see the different parts, but really thinking about the engineering part, that I think that's what you what you were asking. And it that comes later. When they when they develop those fine motor skills when you don't have to think about them like swallowing a small piece, you know? <laughs> Because we also have we also have to think about the things that they can and they can't do at the moment. So basically, teaching robotics in this early age is about them getting to know what a robot is, getting getting to make the robot do something that they want more than building the robot itself. Of course, we build some robots together, but that's not the main the main um, objective here. So that comes later. So I, I, for me, I think that my main my main goal is for them to like robotics, to 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 to, to want to go further than this. All right, Hal, you, you're talking about creating and, and building little robots. You're playing games. I mean, what isn't there? What is there not to like? Uh, it sounds brilliant. Mm -hmm. Just to help myself and and the listener visualize what this actually means. Could you take us through an example of one of the things that you do 
with your your children then so we get a clear idea okay let's say let's start with um at the beginning i start with a with a story okay i create a story most of the robots they are most of the robots they already know them so they have names so let's say um we have one that is called bluebot and the other one that is called robot mouse okay let's remember those names so once upon a time, Bluebot went on a quest and he wanted to find a new friend. <laughs> but he was so sad he couldn't find anybody because all the humans were busy playing with humans. And then he realized that there was a little robot hiding behind all the boxes. And then he went there and he asked, hello, how are you? Who are you? Oh, I'm Robot Mouse. Robot Mouse, would you like to be my friend? Yay! And then I open, I open the activity. No, I, I mean, this story can be longer. <laughs> I just summarized something. And then I open the activity. I open the activity and then like, okay, now you have to use Bluebot and we have to program Bluebot to get to Robot Mouse. And then we have like a special grid where the robot has to move. And then sometimes we use tablets, or sometimes we do it offline, or sometimes uh, we are the robot. It all depends on the day and the activity. And after they achieve their goal, they're like, oh, yeah, we did it. We, we have a new robot. And then we explore the robot. What can this robot do? What is the difference between the two robots? And, you know, that kind of things for them to understand and get to know the robot. And also, the robots are not toys. We always teach the kids that the robots are not toys. They are our friends. They are here to help us learn. So they 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 start loving the robot, they even kiss the robot and like, oh I love you, robot mouse, I love you, blue bot. And that's pretty sweet to see that and now, if I could just check one thing here, because from the terminology that you're using it sounds very much like you do these classes in English. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. At the moment, I'm doing them in English. So not only yeah. are you are you teaching robotics to kindergarten students, but you're actually doing it in what for them is a foreign language. Yeah, but I also have to tell you that in Chimbebe, we have lots of international kids. Maybe it would be a moment to step back then and just tell us a little bit about the environment that you're doing this. What What is Chimbebe? Well, Chimbebe... It's a kindergarten preschool from ages zero to six. And it's a school that provides an environment that is respectful, innovative, healthy, where the kid develops its own way of learning, its own way of self, its own way of seeing the world. We promote freedom of expression, critical thinking, human values, and respect for other uniqueness. The educational program that takes into account is actually that each child is unique. And we also respect the human biology, the emotions, and not only the cognitive part. It's an integration of everything, of, of emotions, the cognitive part, and the human biology. Because it's a school that it's, I could say, in front of the beach, but actually we are at the beach. It's at the Gabamar. It's, uh, we, we work at beach next to a forest and we also I mean the kids are also always in nature because we also learn about taking care of nature and how nature connects us with our own emotions 
we also we are also like a philosophical school where we teach kids how to think critically so it's 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 an it's also a school that is full of kids from all around the world it's a catalan school but most of the kids come from different parts of the world yeah i was i was just going to point out to the listener because i th- i think we left you in the netherlands where you were explaining about your your journey is i think it's worth pointing out yeah that, that you're now based here in Catalonia near Barcelona. Gavamar is what, about 20 kilometers down the coast from Barcelona. Yeah. Okay, cool. And um, it's a, a private school, is that correct? Yeah, it is. Is that why you're teaching robotics to five-year-olds, or is it that the curriculum is now changing, thank God, um, to to start teaching these important skills for the 21st century to young kids? I think it's both. From my own experience, when I arrived in Jindabe, uh, there was nobody in charge of this. There was nobody in charge of, of robotics, of coding, and new technologies. So basically what they did at that moment, there wasn't really, uh, there wasn't an educational program so, yeah, there was a part of uh, ICT, which basically at that moment was just teaching kids how to play some with some apps in the tablet. But then I came with this idea and then they proposed. Uh, I remember when I was new, like my my first year, the, the director proposed course, like a robotics course, but nobody wanted to do it. <laughs> Most of the people are afraid of technology. And I, I saw it as an opportunity. I was like, wow, this is something new. I've never done it, but let's go for it. <laughs> and that's how it started. And then when, yeah, after a lot of work, after applying it to the kids, after seeing what works and what didn't, uh, after the, the, education, the education that I went through that year with robots, we applied it we, we 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 applied it in our curriculum. But at the same time I can tell you that some other schools also have it. They they have robotics. But as I tell you, it's it's I, I've been around. I've been around. I've been asking other schools how they work, etc. And the real schools that focus on robotics and, and, and programming, yeah, they're always like thinking how other school, I mean, I don't want to mention names, but there are many schools that they, they say, oh, we give robotics, but they don't really, there's not really like a program. There's not really like um, learning goals. It's just, okay, let's just give them a robot and, or, or a tablet and, and see what happens. And there's, n- there's not really a structure. And I think that's the difference between we, Jim Bebe, and, and other similar schools that they say that they give robotics. It's like we have learning goals, and, and it's not just about the kid playing with robots. Having clear lo- learning goals uh, and being very clear as a educational institution, what is your fundamental objective? I think is is a key, well, it's the biggest key part of being successful to know what it is you're trying to do. And I'd like to get onto that, but we're approximately halfway through and I'm afraid it's time for the learnability quiz. 
my goodness. So, uh, <laughs> what I do is I torture guests here, Nando. Uh, I prepare three three questions on, on the speciality of my choice, which unsurprisingly is all about robotics. <laughs> and uh, oh just, just to see how... Well, well, but, uh, one question, what yeah. happens if I fail? <laughs> oh, you get humiliated in front of, of an audience of hundreds of thousands of people. Right. Oh okay. my goodness. <laughs> right. So, that, right, here we go then. Uh, question number one. Where does the word robot originally come from? Where does it come from? Hmm? Wow. Don't Google this. Don't Google. <laughs> I, I can hear you typing in the background. No, I'm not typing. I'm not uh, typing. Okay. Typing. I, I'll give you a clue. It, it first, the word robot first appeared in 1921 in a play that was been that was written about these mechanical machines that started to kill everybody. <laughs> you might recognise that plot. Um, but the, they were called robots. But who or which? language did that word come from right, i'm going to assume that you don't know or that you're you're googling very slowly uh it actually comes no, no, no. Ah, but you said i cannot google that no you can't google no no, no 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 you can't google <laughs> right so robot robot comes as far as my sources tell me is that it comes from the the czech language and in czech robota actually means drudgery so they were the machines that did all the menial tasks and the name really caught on, and now everybody's using robots all over the world. Oh, using the word robot all over the world. Okay. Wow, pretty right. interesting. Okay. It's a shame that I don't know that. Okay, here's question number two. A little, this, this takes us back a little bit further than 1921. In the year 1495, 1495, the first armored mechanical fighting machine was designed like what five six hundred years ago who designed it a fighting machine a mechanical fighting machine no i i really don't know but it's really i i would like to google that because that sounds okay great. well i'll i'll give you a clue <laughs> the the date the year 1495, there was only one fella around at that time who was capable of designing armoured fighting machines and a lot of other amazing machines. He was Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, he came with all of those designs. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the most amazing thing is that this guy was designing... I mean, he, 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 was, he, he designed... Machines that could fly. Um, he could design uh, simple robots. The amazing thing is, is that people have taken his plans. The, the thing that stopped his plans from being built was that the technology at that time simply couldn't make the materials strong enough to, to do it. And since then, they've actually created working versions of what he what he did. Um, and in fact, there's a an engineer called Mark uh, Rosheim, who took Leonardo's plans and, and put them together himself, just to prove that they oh, could wow. work. Let's hear it for Leonardo da Vinci. Yay! 
Okay. Okay. So you're gonna ask me so, a third question. Okay, I'm gonna give you a third question, <laughs> and this is where you're really gonna bomb. I'm afraid because if you don't know the first two, I'm you. You come on, you robots. Is, did, did you do this on purpose? The, it, no, it, this, this is it on this, purpose. For I thought well, you know robotic. <laughs> okay, I, I was working the robots. whole day, and then I come here at this podcast, and now I feel like I'm on university exam, and like oh, let's no. let's. <laughs> The previous guests, their previous guests, they got zero points as well. Don't worry about that. Right. So this is your chance to to save yourself. NASA, NASA. One of the things it does really well is it builds robots for doing all sorts of things. Uh, some of them are far more uh, spectacular than others. The most famous ones of recent years have been the five robots that have been sent to Mars as part of the Martian Rover project. Could you tell me the names of any of the five robots that have gone to Mars and have trundled around on their little wheels on that, surf on that surface? I remember one because we talked about it in one of our classes and it was Curiosity. Excellent. You get curiosity. 10 points for that. Cu curiously, curiosity is not the latest one. The the one that's up there at the moment making the headlines is called perseverance, which is one of my pet subjects because uh, perseverance and learning go hand in hand. So in in reverse chronological order, the latest one was perseverance, before then it was curiosity. Before then, it was two that got sent together, Spirit and Opportunity. And the first one that I actually had completely forgotten about is uh, Sojourne or Sojourna, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Um, okay, so you got you got 10 points out of that, which is more Ooh. than some of the guests <laughs> have had. So you can feel proud of yourself for that. Right. Okay. Yay, a round of applause anyway, let's get... for my lack of knowledge. A round of applause. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back on track then. Teaching robotics to kids at kindergarten, I think, is first of all, I think it's an excellent idea. But it strikes me that it's a, it could you could end up in a similar situation that I've known happen with other learning institutions that are doing brilliant work. That once those children then move up in the system and move on, everything that they've built up disappears because it isn't continued when they go on to the next school. Do you know what happens to the children when they leave Jim Bebe? And are they able to build on the great work that they've done with you? Okay, I'm going to answer this question with... A sad story. I'm going to tell you that many parents, I can even say even teachers in the school, don't see the importance of programming, coding, and robotics in the children's life. So it's also been a challenge for me to show that importance, to actually make parents and the other teachers see that we're living in a dig digital age these kids are going to live in a totally different world where where the digital world is going to be is going to be the main thing where robots are going to be around etc 
but they don't see it. So, uh, as yeah, I, like I can tell you that I also do the after-school activities of programming and robotics, and the kids that come to me, they don't really come. Most of them don't really come because the 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 parents really believe that it's something important that could help them in the future. They just come. Oh, oh they just like it because you're fun, and they don't really see that we're actually doing something great here that we're 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 building that base and those skills that will not only teach them how to code or how to use robots but the benefits are even outside those subjects for example the critical thinking the the the, the, the all the other advantages that they have but they don't really see it so why why am i telling you this sad story it's because when these kids, okay, they go, they go to the primary school or they go wherever, parents don't really follow up because they're like, oh, it was just something fun they were doing with Nando. I can say it's a problem or something that I worry about that most of the parents don't see that. Therefore, they don't really choose a school that will continue the, the, that what I have built. They don't want the, schools that they don't really focus on technology, they don't really focus on robotics, but most of the kids go to schools that have that, but not because they see the importance in it, it's just because most of the time they're the schools that are around home, in Castellafels, in Gava, and they're close by. I, I don't want the listener to misunderstand what I'm about to say. There are many, many teachers who do brilliant, brilliant jobs and earn their weight in gold. But there are other teachers that are very reluctant to change and um, um, basically just want to do what they are comfortable doing. And it seems strange. You, you For instance, even now... My kids, they're 11 years old, uh, they're about to turn 12, they do arts and crafts. Every week they have four hours of arts and crafts lessons and yet they do no coding, nothing technology-wise whatsoever. And I think in the future that they're, about, that they're going to be go walking into in 10 years' time, the probability of going into some sort of job as a coder and the probability of them going into some sort of job making things out of wood um, or, or bits of plastic or whatever, you know, there's no comparison. The job opportunities for coders are far going to be far higher where everybody, every company that's out there, the, the VR development, the, the stuff which is happening, it's clearly where the future is going. And why is it that schools are so slow in adjusting their objective to cope with the future reality and not sticking, not sticking with what, what teachers are comfortable with or some teachers are comfortable with? I think it's not only because of the school, but it's also because of the parents. Why don't parents see that? I mean, and I, I, I gotta tell you that most of our parents, the parents in, in Chimbebe, they, they, they know, most of them are entrepreneurs, millennials, and, and, and they know the importance. And what, in my opinion, is not only the, 
the educational system's fault, but also the parents. Why don't, I mean, if I was a parent, I'm not a parent at the moment, I would think about, okay, uh, I, if you're looking for a job and you have um, some coding programming languages, of course, you're going to get the job. You're going to have more opportunities now, now. And I'm talking just about now. Can you imagine in the future? Probably it's going to be a must if you want to get a job. I mean, as a parent, you, you should also see the importance of knowing that, of knowing about technology, of knowing about coding. And it's not only about getting a job done. It's also because the kids are working with technology at the moment. And instead of teaching them how to passively consume, why don't we teach them how to create things, how to move things, how to, to create stories, how to make a game, how, you know what I mean? It's also, I think it's also something that parents should take in mind and don't only blame the schools. How do you see the future of education? I mean, if, if you had a magic wand and say, right, I'm going to change the education system so that it will be as as good as it possibly could be to prepare today's kids for their future. What sort of changes would you make? I believe the first one, talking about my area, my field of technology and robotics and coding, will be that schools take it as something important. It's, and it's something that is already happening. It's not something that we can avoid anymore. Like knowing how to code should be as important as knowing how to write and read. And I believe if I had that magic wand, uh, I would put more emphasis on, on that part, on, on kids learning how to create with technology instead of being just passive consumers. One of the things that I am well aware of now is that the more we teach something, the more we learn ourselves. And through the experiences that you've had in teaching technology to kindergarten children, are there any key learning moments that you've had yourself it's totally, I'm going to go out of the field of technology and robotics, and I'm going to go more into the human part of this job. And as I learn from kids how to live life, I think they teach me more about my own emotions and and how to deal with life itself. Because if you look at kids, especially at that age, they focus a lot on living in the moment. They focus a lot. They know how to empathize. It's, it's human nature. Like they, they cannot be mad at their friend for hours. No, it's like, okay, um, we fight and then we say sorry and we, we just continue with life. And, and that's amazing. I remember one of the best lessons that I had was, yeah, it, it was in my first months of this job, in this job. And I remember there was this girl and, and she, yeah, she just came into, she just came into the classroom and she was really happy and like, ha ha, I feel so happy. And 
And I was like, wow, uh, why do you feel so happy? And she started thinking and looking at me. And then, because I'm happy. That was her answer. And I was like, wow, yeah, why do we always need a reason to be happy? Can I just be happy like this little girl? <laughs> and yeah, the main lessons is getting more in touch with my inner child. I can also tell you that I went through therapy where I had to confront many of my childhood traumas. And to be honest, working in this school helped me a lot to understand and to go through that path in a more effective way. When and Nowadays you hear, you hear that it's becoming more and more popular. Oh, get in touch with your, your inner child, look for your inner child. And you hear everywhere. But how do we do that? Uh, uh, Everybody's telling you, yeah, connect with your inner child, but how do we do that? And I will say that something that I learned working with kids is to reflect upon my own childhood, to find patterns, because many of the things that we, many of the things that we think about or how our perspective is on life is based on, on, on those early years where if you, if you think about your subconscious mind, everything that is programmed there, the base of those programs come from your childhood. And many experts already have different theories that I mean, you can find that they support that, that we, we, we should focus on those early years if we really want to understand why we do certain things, how do we deal with relationships in our adulthood, how do we see the world, and even, even our physical appearance and, and how and how we deal with illnesses and and it, it's a broad it's a broad area that I, we can talk about in another episode or if you want to but the main thing that I learned working with kids is connecting with my inner child and, and finding the importance of my childhood in my adulthood just to round off if there's one message, uh, one key tip, uh, idea that you'd like our listener to take away with them, what would it be? Okay, I have two target groups here. The first one will be parents. And please see the importance of your child's early years. Don't take it for granted. Don't think that they're just playing. No, they're, they're actually... And creating a base on how they will behave in their adult life. And secondly, for every adult out there, like reflect upon your childhood, see those patterns, see why you do the things you do, because many of those things and many of the problems that we have in our adulthood come from that part of our, our childhood. And if we find patterns, we reflect on that and we get in touch with the real child that is there some some of us have it really hidden and if you connect with that it will really 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 help you overcome obstacles in life and be a happier person a calmer person achieve your objectives you only have advantages fantastic if people wanted to get hold of you nando where would you like them to do so well you can find my linkedin find me by the name Fernando Smolders, or come to our school. <laughs> you, well, it, it's actually pretty fun if you come to our school because it's like going to the beach. 
Okay, cool. Is that an open invitation? Yeah, we will, we will, we will have open doors soon. But as I told you, if, if you check the website, you may see the date and, and you ask for me, is the Nando there? And then I personally come outside and I greet you and I give you a small tour. Excellent. <laughs> okay. And I'll look forward to that then. Right. Anyway, uh, Nando Smolders, thank you very much for your time. It's been fascinating to learn about what happens behind those closed doors up in Gaba de Mar. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye. <laughs>